Coaches, what's going on? We've got spring ball coming up uh, in a week. So really excited for that. Uh, if you guys haven't heard, Pin and Pull is up on RTP install. Coach Walls did an unbelievable job. Uh, we're getting great, great feedback from it. So you guys check that out. Also, the sign up for our first annual hot O-line hot summit. Uh, there's a cool clinic uh, going on. We're going to put on a hot summit uh, for offensive line coaches. Uh, we've got some unbelievable coaches, college and high school offensive line guys. Uh, but the sign-up is now available. You can go to our website. You can go to our Twitter. It's pinned on Twitter. You can sign up for the Hot Summit absolutely free uh, when you watch it live. And then eventually we will have an all-access pass available as well for purchase. Uh, so you guys can go back and re-watch those videos. Or if you missed one, you can see all of those. Uh, so you guys can go sign up for that. If you already signed up uh, for our first summit in February, you do not need to re-sign up. We've already got you. So uh, we've got that coming, and that will be at the end of June. So you guys sign up where while there's still uh, free slots available. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. That's teambuilder.com. Make sure you guys put in the code RTP. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Just Play. Whether you're a coach looking for a personal playbook tool or you're on a staff at a program looking to improve your team's preparation, Just Play has a solution for you. They have recently released a new product called My Just Play. My Just Play is a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels, from Pop Warner, Pee Wee, all the way to the NFL. Create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, all starting at just $10 a month. Learn more at myjustplay.com. Again, that's myjustplay.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Fergus Connolly. Coach Connolly is a performance expert who's worked for several collegiate and professional organizations. He's also the author of two staple books for any coaching library in Game Changer and 59 Lessons. Listen as we talk with Coach Connolly about his unique coaching and learning journey, insight and takeaways from both of his books, and keys to maximizing your team's performance as a coach and lifelong learner. You can follow Coach Connolly on Twitter at Fergus underscore Connolly. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, uh, I think my my background in uh, in football here in the states started with um, I think it was first with the Cleveland Browns. I think Eric Mangini was the the head coach at the time with with the Browns, and um, you know I was invited over to speak to them about sports science and about technology and development, and um, I ended up consulting with with a number of teams after that, um, you know, I'd worked in soccer, I'd worked in rugby, I'd worked with some military units in, in Europe. And my passion has always been about how do you get a group of people to work together, to win 
primarily in sport in the military but you find it happened by accident first you know you get fired from your first job which happened to be in soccer and then i ended up working in rugby and then you know you get invited to help teams in football but what you notice are that the principles behind winning coaching and leadership are uh are the same you know we we often see differences but actually there are far more um commonalities and similarities particularly between the the uh the winners and so end up working for for the browns for falcons for the jaguars and then the the niners and um you know the niners then offered me a uh a full-time role um which is i guess about four or five years ago and um so i worked with uh jim harbaugh and um vic fangio who's now at the the broncos and you know many other great coaches and eric mangini actually joined us again um later on and um you know i had the opportunity to work with some some pretty special players you know at the niners patrick willis navarro bowman you know, Cap, um, Frank Gore, you know, um, Vernon Davis, and mm. probably the guy who had the biggest impact on me personally was Justin Smith. Um, you know, just a phenomenal guy and phenomenal player. And um, then I followed Jim to, to Michigan. And, of course, then, you, you know, you come across other great players like, um, you know, Jabril Peppers, for example. And, um, you know, you're there's yeah you're you're always learning like i mean i think you know people will call me for advice and things but you know the more i the more i think i know in reality the more i'm realizing how much there is to learn about how do you get a group of people to win in 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 football or in team sport what brought that interest around for for you at at the very first and not even just with football just the the cuz that's always been interesting to me i love watching um, and I don't know maybe even where it started, but from when I was a young age, I liked watching Michael Jordan. Right now, I like watching the Patriots. I, I love watching winning teams and, and how they win. Was that something that, that drew you in at, at a young age as well, just looking uh, just for that, the art behind winning? You know what it is? It's, I just got off the phone with some of the guys at Sports Source Analytics, and it was because I was a bad player myself i was a bad athlete <laughs> myself and uh we were just talking about you know, you know i'm not criticizing him now but bill belichick you know like some of the best coaches i think have been poor players themselves and i think i think it um inspires two things in you one you know that a hunger that you know you didn't you didn't make it as a player so you want to prove people wrong and then and so that's where the drive comes from, but that's not enough in itself because everybody wants to be, you know, successful. But I think depending on some other perhaps ingredients, you, you develop, develop a curiosity for, you know, why didn't I and what makes, you know, a group of people come together and be successful. And that curiosity, I think, is just just a fascination with, you know, why did they win? and and you keep trying things to get better, maybe as a player, and then you get an opportunity as a as a coach. And I think for me, I started while I was playing, um, you know, playing sport back in Ireland. And I, I, you know, I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm just not as strong as everybody else. So I'll study weight training and 
you know, and then I noticed, okay, I'm getting strong, but it's speed. So, um, you know, I'd pick up the, the Sunday newspapers because we didn't, you know, the internet wasn't what it is now. Sure. For all, the, for all these young coaches who don't know what a library is. You know, <laughs> that's me. That's that's me. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you had to go to the library or you would, you know, you'd talk to people and well, what do sprinters do? So, you know, I would read everything I could get my hands on on sprint sprint code and then I would uh, then who, who's the best team in the world? Well, that happens to be the New Zealand All Blacks, even though I didn't know anything about rugby. And um, yeah, so I saved up whatever money I had and I would go and visit teams to try and just, you know, I'd approach the coach and could I go and learn? And then, so the end result is you realize it's not just strength, it's not just speed, it's not just nutrition, it's not some magic supplement. You know, it's about psychology, it's about coaching. And then you, and then, you know, you're head of the physical performance department and you realize I'm not the greatest thing since I spread the tactics and skill of a part to play. And so the, the conclusion is the, the secret is that it's not one secret. It's how you pull everything together. And that's what, you know, the great coaches like the Belichick's or the Popovich's or, you know, the Sabins do. They, they know that it's a combination. It's like a piano. And the secret is knowing what keys to play at the right time. That's what the real secret is behind good coaches, great coaches. You think also that those guys have probably as good of an understanding about all of those aspects. You know, they're able to kind of see how those things are maybe interconnected, you know, rather than, you know, some coaches are all just, uh, I'm just a scheme guy or I'm, a, I'm just a strength coach. Whereas maybe those guys are like, they can kind of take that 10,000 foot level and they can take all the pieces, be it strength, you know, mental preparation, whatever it might be. And those are the most knowledgeable people about that. And it gives them that edge. Absolutely. I think there are three things. I think, first of all, there's a humility that, so no matter how, don't confuse confidence with humility. Like, I mean, there's a humility there that, you know, whether it's a, a Belichick or Saban or whoever, that they know that, you know, I don't know everything about all of those areas, so I, I have to find out a little bit about it, or um, I got to get the right person in who I can trust to manage that. Um, I think there's also um, an awareness that all of those things have value. And then I think the most important part is knowing the limitations of each. And that's underappreciated in that some coaches perhaps you know th think that it's about scheme and strength and conditioning and they throw everything into that without knowing that if you um, spend too much time on scheme or uh, too much time on strength and conditioning it actually becomes a disadvantage then because you're taking time away from psychology recovery nutrition or whatever so um, absolutely it's knowing that they all have value. Um, it's knowing you don't have to be an expert in all of those areas, but you need to know enough to know when you're being, you know, bullshitted or excuse my language, but you need to know when you're dealing with a fraud in the area, you know, but um, have you guys got a beep? <laughs> beep <button? laughs> no, um, no, we're good. But, yeah. But, but, but you understand what I'm saying. It's, I think, I think the humility, uh, I think having knowing enough to know that uh, you're not being, you know, conned and then, um, you know, having that, uh, knowing the limitations, I think is really important, particularly when it comes to something like sports science or analytics is knowing what it can do, but then really knowing what it can't do and when not to gamble on it. 
I think, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, in, in kind of having, like you said, that humility and, you know, it, it seems like all of those guys, and I know a few people that have, that have worked with, with Belichick and, and they said that he was, he was always asking coaches to kind of, you know, keep him in check or, or question things because he didn't want to be the guy that's, Hey, you know what? It's, it's my process. It's my, philosophy it's going to be the only way we do things he's like the only way I was going to be able to improve was when people kind of pushed me you know out of that comfort zone and I think you know you making that last point of being humble enough you know to to understand hey it's not the end all be all but I also need to know a little bit more about this and I need to seek out that knowledge you know that's kind of where you've kind of made your mark too right well yeah um yeah and I think I don't want to talk about myself, but, but I think if you, but, but going to, but just on that point, um, something that you see in, in the military that is very important is that ability to allow yourself be questioned in the, in the right way and to encourage it and not to see it as a challenge, but to see it as a, a refinement of something. And that is, you know, that encompasses speaking truth to power to be able to you know, you know, are you a coach where somebody can walk into your office, close the door and say to you, coach, you know, you might've got, you might, are you looking at this in the right way? Or should we look at this differently? And you not to take that as a threat, but to see that somebody's, you know, making a, a valid effort to, you know, present, you know, something to you that maybe you're just not seeing. And the, the second point about that is that I think and I, I, I know this about Belichick is that, you know, there are things coming on the horizon that, you know, are the new flashy thing and you might not jump on them straight away, but you want to know what they are so that when they do become value added, that you're aware of them and you know how to adapt to them or adopt them. Um, so that humility, that balance between being a good leader and having that, that humble leader, um, is yeah it's very very important that's a really good point coach what do you think and maybe this is a an ignorant question but uh of uh you know you say all you know coaches look at scheme and strength a bunch and, and obviously sometimes even too much as you said and, and there's so many other facets of the game what do you think is is the most overlooked that would give coaches a big bang for their buck outside of those two well i i think it, i think some coaches do but i think you know other coaches are you know, it varies from coach to coach or, and not all coaches are like that, but like some coaches are, you know, very into perhaps psychology and maybe overplay it or overthink it. I think, um, you know, uh, you know, it depends on, on, on the coaches, but I, I really do believe that today the best coaches have that um, overall view of everything. And they're aware of the value of, you know, for example, just simply having, you know, culture, you know, a, a good culture in place and being aware of it, having, you know, nutrition is incredibly important, just simply having and, and the nature of it. So having not just enough food, but having good food and providing it in a culture where guys are happy to hang around, sit and eat and actually spend that time together, which then complements culture. So it's understanding again, going back to the piano analogy, understanding all of those keys and understanding that they all complement one another because you can build 
very good cultures in organizations by making sure simply that you know there's good food available and that it's healthy and that you know you 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 build that you you can you can complement all of these things together um, and I think one of the things that you see more and more with coaches are that they and th- this is something perhaps that will filter through more from other sports are that head coaches will become more managers of coaches rather than actual coaches themselves because they their job is really to help other coaches do the coaching and their job is to manage those coaches so the head coach role is really like a management role like a ceo role um so they can help facilitate their coaches to do the best job possible then they can intervene with certain players or in certain situations where it's needed but they they don't get dragged into the the weeds uh too often and i think you know you just have to watch a belichick on the sideline to see how you know how he does that coach i've actually read a lot of your book uh game changer and and i think you know, I, I loved kind of how, you know, you'd introduce the book and, and you talk about, you know, hey, this might not be something you read straight through. You know, you, you might you might want to jump around and there's really no kind of, you know, order of operations to the entire book. But I, I was really fascinated with kind of starting with the first part when you're talking about, you know, the actual game and, and movements of people. And to me, it was also super fascinating to, to learn a little bit about like how you were kind of trying to be able to to almost explain chaos a little bit like you know how how games are kind of rolling and you use some of your soccer analogies can you talk a little bit about you know some of the research you did behind that because I thought honestly I mean you know what it put it into very very simple terms about things that were happening and all of a sudden you're like man maybe I am making this a little bit too complex well I I'll, I was going to send you a medal if you said you had read it from start to finish because it's. it's <laughs> I had not. It, <laughs> it is a it is a huge book, but um, no, I think one of the reasons that I, you know, and I trust me, everything in that book I've learned from other people. It's it's not, I didn't, you know, I didn't invent anything. Maybe how I put it together is a little bit different, but um, one of the things that that directed me in that way is when we look at um, statistics or measure sports science you you have to look at things in in moments like you mean in uh, um, you know in the actual context of which of of when it happens so you know take speed for example how fast someone runs is really dependent on the route they're running or you know it you have to you just can't take the number out of context the other thing is that you know i sat with an nfl quarterback one time and I asked him, you know, how many plays did he have to, you know, did he have to prepare for the following day or be aware of? And I forget what the number was, but it was, we're talking 140, 170 or something. And then I asked him how many of those are going to be called, which was just a fraction of it. And then the next question was, (laughs) how many of those are actually going to run successfully? And I I forget the actual numbers. It's a few years ago. But when you think of, when you think in that context, or you think of that situation really you're setting up a play you're setting up a situation but really you're trying to empower players to play what's in front of them you're trying to educate players so there's the chaos element is the big elephant in the room that people i think don't want to acknowledge so the best players are the ones who truly are the ones who adapt to what's in front of them and how do you do that 
how do you teach someone, you know, how do you empower them um, to play what's in front of them? And, you know, that's what great players do. We call it X factor, but it's really, it's, it's a chaotic situation. And you see it in the military, you see it in other sports more so because it's not as programmed. But that is, I think, great players and great coaches acknowledge that. And I know that's one of the things I had, I had highlighted here because, of course, I got it up and I wanted to make sure I asked you some of the questions. But, again, it struck a super chord with me. You know, in any game that you're doing, you're either, you know, on offense and attacking mm-hmm. yeah. or I'm on defense and I'm defending or I'm transitioning from one of those to the other. And then, the, you know, you're, you talk about kind of those the special operators or special forces. They know, you know, there's going to be basic skills that you're doing within each of those contexts. So like you, you said here, they shoot, they move, and they communicate. Yes. So it's kind of the same thing, breaking it down, you know, like not having to worry about these huge, huge concepts of offense, defense, transition. Like, yeah, we know they exist, but what are the most basic skills that I need to be able to do to, like you're saying, be able to handle that chaos correctly? So I don't know the answer to this, but let's, you know, what percentage of players are not run the way that you want them on offense. So then what are you relying on? You're relying on the, the skill, the, the technical ability of the player, and then their ability to play what's in front of them, to react to the chaos in front of them. So we, we can train these skills um, and we can perfect them in, you know, in action. Now, I'm not talking about catching you know, balls from the jugs machine. I'm talking about, like, I mean, executing under pressure and then reacting to chaotic situations in front of them. And so would you be, is that what you better spend the majority of your time doing, creating those situations and developing the player's ability to execute basic skills repeatedly under pressure? And that's where I think you, you find your, your best players um, thrive, is in those chaotic situations that they execute. And they execute something they have practiced so many times. They're not going to do something new, you know, in a Super Bowl or in a, you know, a championship final. It's executing the basics. Now you're executing it under extreme pressure. So is that the goal then, uh, in your opinion, is, is try to find creative ways to put kids or put your athletes under pressure um, in practice-type situations? Because I would assume, obviously, that can be – um, that could be a difficult thing to to try to um, try to show pressure, but it not you know it just be in a practice environment. Yeah, so it's you know you create you create the situation like you mean in similar environments, but you you understand and you're teaching the you're telling the player it's not you can never replicate exactly what's going to happen, but we can you know if we're talking about run plays or or you know pass like I mean we can create the situation where you're going to have a lot of space where you're not going to you know, depending on the numbers you're up against Mm -hmm. and you can recreate those and and you're teaching and really the education of the player is how he adapts to and and giving him feedback. You know, one coach, very experienced coach said to me one time, he said, you know, sometimes he said, I look at what we do in football and we take the kids who have learned how to play this game on streets and in um, you know, in dilapidated areas and neighborhoods, and they've learned how to play and adapt, and they've learned these skills in chaos. Um, and we bring them in, and we give them in, and we put them into a structured environment. And sometimes we undo. We don't recognize what it is that we're taking. We're taking like a, a beautiful talent 
that has been developed on streets and on backyards. And then we try and put a, a real structure around it. And, you know, is that, are we undoing maybe perhaps some of the, the natural ability that has already been developed in these players? Just a question. <laughs> I completely I just, agree. I, it's, it's, it's I'm, just, I'm just throwing no, it out here. here. Our, our, our head coach that, that both Coach Harper and I work for, it, it, he'd say it all the time. He's like, you know, ki- kids keep the game simple, and kids know, you know, it's fun. They, they pick the best players when they, when they have to pick sides. You know, they, mm-hmm. they pick the best players. They know who to get the ball to in those, in those situations where they're just out in the, in the indoor facility having fun. And he's like, and then coaches come in, and we structure it, and we ruin it. So he's been saying that for a long time. He's like, you know, the, the kids all know who the best players are. They know how to do this. And then we come in and we try to make it way too structured. So, yeah, you, you said that. I'm an Irish guy. I'm not going to make anything as bold to come. I'm going to ask a question, but I'm not saying that the coaches ruin it. But, I'm, I, but I think, I guess what I'm, what I'm seeing is that, you know, I think when we look at kids on, on streets and how they learn and, and the other thing, you know, because – the guys playing in the NFL are just, you know, they'll tell you they're just bigger kids who are getting paid a lot more money, but they're doing it. They truly love the game. Mm-hmm. So when we look back at how they learn these things, um, the other thing that is incredibly important are when you watch kids play, they are so involved in the game. They're so present psychologically and emotionally in the game that that's where their learning comes from. So they're, they are truly in that moment. and what happens is they they learn a memory and so you know if they you know catch a ball in a particular way or if they miss a ball um and they you know get teased for it or you know they get some abuse from it on the street that that forms a memory and that emotional component is something that that is very very important because that emotion and that memory will stay with them a long time and that you know so when you have it, it, it's something that coaches, I think, um, good coaches all just automatically understand and they either reinforce it or they dismiss it quickly from the player and tell them forget about it. But the last thing that good coaches do will, you know, shout at the, the player because the player already knows he's made a mistake. I, I, I think this is all fascinating again, too, because, I mean, it's some of the stuff that, that I'm, I'm most interested in, too, is, is you know, studying some of, you know, the the – the psychology behind it. So I know coach Frost at, at Nebraska, um, they start off 0 and 6 and I'm kind of, you know, following along and, and listening to some of the things he's saying to guys and, and literally, you know, they have a meltdown at Northwestern, they get beat. And I remember him just saying, he's like, we, we brought the guys in and, and we're talking to them. It's like, what were you thinking in the fourth quarter? So it wasn't like, you know, yelling at him, you know, talking, mm-hmm. going back to your training or whatever it was. He was like, you know, okay, it was a, it was a pressure situation. We're, we're learning how to win, you know, and learning how to, to be successful in this. It was almost like a breakdown of, you know, what, what were you thinking during this time? You know, how, how was your, your stress levels and things like that? Is that something that, you know, you would kind of help athletes with as well and, and some things that you've studied? Because to me, that's like the next level thing. It's like, you know, you hear a lot of coaches say, you know, oh, that kid just doesn't have it, or that kid doesn't have the the confidence. You know, and, and I think it goes back to what you were saying before. You know, there there must have been a moment or a memory in that kid's history where it was a stressful situation, or you know, he did get teased, or or whatever happened. You know, yeah, but, I think, yeah, absolutely, and I think, I think the one thing that 
you know, is the most important thing I think in sport that coaches and players sometimes forget is that you are only competing against yourself. So, you know, you don't control the opponent, but you can control how you react and what you do. Now you can influence them, but if, you know, if a player makes an amazing play and you've done your best and he, he beats you, you know, you, you can, the question is, did you, did you live up to your highest standard? I worked with a soccer team years ago and I remember the coach saying, we were playing Manchester United at the time who were, you know, the world's greatest team. And he was saying, look, our job is to play to our 10 out of 10. Now, our 10 out of 10 is up to Manchester United's eight. So if they come and play to their best, they're going to beat us. But if they come and they're, they take us for granted and they only play to their eight out of 10, we can beat them. And it's rec- But the, the greatest failure that you can make as a player is not playing to your best or not improving on your best. That's, that's the real question. So it's, you know, you know, with uh, Coach Frost and that, it's, it's, you know, are we playing up to our standard? And that's the first question. And then you get better from that. So what are, what are your KPIs? Like what are your key performance indicators? You know, what are you good at doing? And are we living up to our standard? Are we playing to our standard? And then you come back in. And the advantage of that is that if you go and play the best team in, the, the best team in your conference or you sit down afterwards, regardless as the result, and you can look brutally, honestly at your standards and did you play up to them? And if you won, good. If you lost and you didn't play up to them, well, then that's your fault. The other advantage is when you play a team that you're expected to beat, you don't get distracted by them and get caught off guard. You're going out to play up to your best standard. Your, co- your biggest competitor is yourself. Am I going to play up to my standard, the standard that we set ourselves? That's the, because that never changes week in, week out. I always think that can be a really difficult thing to teach uh, kids. Anyway, I, I've got a five-year-old, and, and I'm like, conflicted between like, the two ideals of like, I want him to know it's obviously okay at certain times to lose and that we just want him to be getting better. We want him to work as hard as he can and to you know, get better at all these skills, at whatever he's doing. He's not in football, but mm-hmm. just in whatever. And, yeah. and, but – you also, I'm also to the point where I don't want to be so okay with doing your best to where he loses like a competitive edge. So I, I always get caught in that, you know, how do you manage that or how do you balance that out? Or is it, is it um, the competitive edge should just be all purely, um, uh, you know, doing your best? It's a, well, it's, it's a weird kind of dichotomy for me. Yeah, there's a difference between doing your best and, you know, living up to, you know, your standard. So mm. maybe, maybe doing your best is, is, is maybe the, the wrong phrase as a different connotation. But what I mean is that if you have a standard, like, I mean, did, are you tackling as well as you can tackle? You know what I mean? Is that the best? And then can we get it better? But the, the, first, the first failure is just not living up to your stand, you know, to the best that you can do, first of all. Mm. And then, yes, absolutely. And it's, it's a thin line because if you create too much of an expectation, then you get teams who just, you know, really beat themselves up. Right. With, 
you know, and then you, then you get confidence issues. And then when things start to go bad, they go, okay, this is going the same way as it's gone every time. So it's a, it is a thin, it's a very thin line, but the, the opposite is, you know, you get too arrogant. Next thing, then you find yourself in the third quarter losing to a team that you should have beaten out the gate in the first quarter easily. So it's, it's, that's why I think you have to set a standard for yourself, a high standard for your team or for your player, and you have to push them to reach that every time, but not to get distracted by, you know, not to play the occasion, but to play, play the game. Let the opponent play the, play the occasion. Coach, who would you say are kind of some of the guys you learned the most from? I know you talked about Game Changer kind of being, you know, some of your, your life's work and it's, you know, phenomenal stuff that, that you've learned and, and compiled over the years. But who would you say would kind of be, you know, some of your, your top mentors or, or people that you've researched and you'd be like, wow, that's, that's been life-changing for me? I think, um, I think I've been around, around a lot of good coaches and I've picked up, you know, um, I picked up different things from from them all. Like I mean, obviously, like I mean, with Jim Harbaugh, like I mean, he, he's very organized, um, runs a disciplined program. I think Vic, Vic Fangio is a very, very good coach as well. Ed Donatel, um, who has gone with him to the Broncos, was very, very good in terms of the art. Like Jim Tomasula is a def- defensive line coach at the Niners. You know, was very, very good, and I think you know maybe not you know, as a, as a necessarily as a head coach, but had a very good way of, you know, to, to what you said earlier, but simplifying it um, for the players and keeping that balance. Um, and you pick up, you know, lots of different things like um, Tyrone Wheatley, I thought as, as a running back coach at, at Michigan, I thought was very, very good. He had a, a very good way of understanding the game. Um, and, and that's just in football. Then, you know, I've picked up lots of things from, from, from the military and that. And there's lots, of, there's lots of things that you pick up from coaches as well that you wouldn't do. Um, but I'm not going to list those. But, <laughs> you know, you get, you know, you, you see coaches who um, I think, you, you know, perhaps, um, I think complacency, I, I think perhaps, you know, something you spoke about earlier, not having people around who can speak truth to power to them, perhaps, and maybe afraid of constructive criticism. I think that's always a threat. Um, but I think, you know, I, I learned a lot watching Jim Tomasula with the, the, the 49ers defensive line with Justin Smith, Ray McDonald, um, guys like that, just managing those, developing them, um, you know, is just on one-on-one, very, very good. And like I said, Vic Fangio as a, as a coordinator, was you know was very very impressive um i think don brown is is a very very good coach and has a very what i what i like about don is he's got a very good um philosophy and he understands it well and can explain it well and can teach it well to to his players i think greg madison as well is a very very good coach he'll be a huge help to ohio this year you know what so, so when I would assume since you've been around so many uh, amazing coaches, and then like you said, I'm sure some that uh, aren't as good at times as you've been around coaches for so long. How long? Uh, how long does it take you normally? With if you are around someone that's that you can tell, man, this guy, this guy is way off on a lot of things. 
Is that is, is that something you pick up on quick because you've been <laughs> around so many good coaches? <laughs> no, uh, man, you guys are asking tough questions here. Um, I don't want you to name anybody. I, just, I would assume, yeah, you don't like, name anyone. No, 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 I don't want you to name. But no, 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 I would just I, assume, like, you know, being around and because people just get like a sixth sense about things. I, I, it feels like that that they're around so many times where, um, you know, so many guys come in for interviews, even at the high school level. I won't use anyone because yeah. I don't have anyone in, in mind, but so many guys come in at a high school level or at a school and they get hired and then the head coach thinks they're going to do a great job and they come in and, and they're, they're really bad at it. And some head coaches are, are very awful hires. They hire some really bad guys and, and, and get tricked by that very easily. And then there's some coaches I think that almost have a sixth sense about, about people or, or coaches. Is that something that you think that you've picked up uh, at, from being around so many coaches? Yeah, I just had this conversation with somebody as well about, you know, um, you know, helping athletic directors and not make, you know, make the right call. And I think, um, you know, the first thing that, that I learned moving from sport to sport was to recognize what I don't know, which is that, you know, the coaches, first of all, know the game. And I will never know football, soccer, rugby or any sport as well as they will. And that's the very first thing you have to keep in the back of your mind. I think then after that, you pick up on things. I think the most important thing to look for in a, in a coach is authenticity or honesty. And the good coaches are authentic, genuine, and honest about you know, what, they, what they can do. And, then, and they recognize readily where they have limitations and how they can support those um, but I think, you know, I've, I've written about it, like, I mean, a three-year rule. I think that you, you can bring any coach in who can, you know, make a big impression on you and can tell you what they're going to do. But, um, but the players are the ones who start to see through it first. And they'll, players and people can buy in for the first year. By the second year, that authenticity, if it's not there, it mm. starts to fade. By the third year, nobody's believing in them. So I think authenticity, and you know honesty in effect is the is the thing that you're looking for in in coaches and you will pick it up perhaps not necessarily in the football sense but just in how they talk about other things around hmm. around it but that authenticity i think is critical because if the the coach is authentic and genuine it's a, an indicator of you know how humble they're prepared to be and then how willing they are to continue to learn and adapt. Um, and you'll find that, you know, some coaches who perhaps have been successful um, are very self-effacing or very humble, and they'll, they'll readily admit the mistakes they've made and, and things like that. And, and that just leads to, you know, open conversations then about how, you know, they are continuing to, to develop what areas they feel that, that they need work on, or, you know, if you talk about different things. So well, I don't know a lot about that, but, you know, that's something I'm prepared to learn about. What uh, you've, you've spoken now a few times on, on being uh, humble and, and how important that is. And it's something that um, I, I learned the hard way a couple of years ago. Uh, I, you know, it's almost to my, my thoughts is like, if you're not, if you're not humble, you'll be humbled pretty quickly uh, yes. and, and yeah. happened to me. But uh, if, I think even at the time before I, w I was a very arrogant, I, I think I even knew I was, and I was almost okay with it. I, I recognized I wasn't humble and I was, um, uh, 
I was fine with that. And then it kind of hit me in the teeth and I've, and now I've, I've learned my ways and hopefully I don't have to go through that again. But, um, it, if, if you run into that and you run into somebody, I'm sure you've been around that coaches or players or, or whatever that is. Do you have any, any, uh, a process or, or anything to help those kids along? Like if I come around a kid that, that is very non-humble, is there a process that I can go through? Is there something I can help this kid with to, to try to get that ego in check? Or is it something that like me, they're going to have to, to, um, kind of be kicked in the knees by, by humble, hum, being humbled? Well, I think, you know, you put your finger on it. I think, you know, every weekend there are many, many coaches who are humbled by the game and the game does that, you know, from a coaching perspective. Um, I think, I think sometimes, I think just on, on coaches for a second, I think, you know, that's where coaches will, who want to get better will, will recognize you know, where perhaps they were getting distracted or, you know, recognize, okay, you know, maybe there are areas that, that I need to improve on. I think with players though, it's, you know, younger players and that I think, you know, usually it comes from a different source with players who perhaps are arrogant or confident. If that's where, where that lack of humility is coming from and, you know, in, in, in game changer, you know, I, I listed, and this was coming from working with, with teams and primarily even in the, in the NFL that the, there are five, you know, I, I reduced it to five like core things with players. If issues were happening that, that it was like, perhaps sometimes it was a maturity thing. Sometimes some kids just haven't matured enough um, to understand that, you know, they don't have, they're not going to win everything. And that, so the arrogance is like a protective thing. Um, sometimes it's a self-esteem thing that they're actually lacking hugely in self-esteem and the arrogance or overconfidence is a protective mechanism for them. Sometimes it's a security thing they they have an inbuilt, you know, security or their, their position, they, their position is under threat. Um, or sometimes it's just an attachment thing. They feel alone. They don't feel part of the team. And, and that arrogance is a way to, you know, I'm okay. I don't need any, any help. Um, and then the, the fifth source is sometimes lifestyle. So it's maturity, lifestyle, self-esteem, security, and attachment. Like I, I, that's where I start with players. And I, I, I try and, you know, I understand that it's coming from perhaps a place of fear most likely. So mm. can, I, can I figure out what that is? Bring the kid down to, to not bring them down is the wrong way to put it. But can I, can I put my finger on that? And then can I, you know, get, get around that and then, help the help the kid understand that um you know i'm here to help you and i'm not i'm not a threat to you in any way i'm here to help you so that you can get better and just get so to and not to confront the arrogance head on coach you had a, also had a section in the book and of course i was drawn to that um about, about leadership because that's honestly uh, one of the the courses i teach now and it's it's something I've I've kind of been taught to to study a little bit ever since I, I got into the profession. Is it but sorry? I, just before we go any further, is it fifty dollars every time you mention Game Changer? I'm supposed to give you absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Stop just plugging plugging the book so much, but go on. It's it's literally it's coach. It's not it's not a plug as much as it's become a great resource for me. I'm mean, being I appreciate hundred percent honest here, man. So, um. But I, I enjoyed the section of the book where you did talk about how, you know, and Coach Harper kind of alluded to it, 
you know, being able to kind of see, see people who, you know, might be successful, might not be as successful, but you had a section in there about, you know, recruiting good assistant coaches or being able to, you know, kind of what are some things to look for in, you know, good future assistant coaches, especially if they are younger. And I know a lot of our listeners, you know, are head coaches and they're, or they're, they're assistant coaches themselves and they're looking to move up the ranks. What, what were some of the things that you'd kind of learned throughout as far as, you know, how to move up the ranks, you know, how to, how to find people or have an eye for people who are probably going to have a chance to be pretty successful in, in the, the coaching profession? Uh, it's, that's a great question. And I think one of the things that um, one of the disadvantages that young coaches have today is that, um, you know, a few generations ago, most coaches were, you know, perhaps teachers who learned, you know, crowd management or chaos management, if you will, in the classroom, and they learned teaching styles and stuff like that. And then they had a lot of time off or a lot of vacation time. And that's where they develop, you know, coaching skills and whatever. So I think a lot of coaches now, you know, just go into the coaching vein and they don't get perhaps that exposure to teaching, presenting, um, and get exposures to other areas that you can learn from. And I think that's really important. Like, you know, you go Lombardi, Walsh, so many of these other coaches are actually teachers originally. Um, so there's the teaching element. And secondly, then just, just that opportunity maybe to learn from other spaces um, or other, other areas that give you an inspiration or a creative um, spark that gives you an idea to present something in a different way to a player. So one of the, you know, one of the greatest things that, that has happened to me, you know, early on in my career was, um, you know, losing a job early on in soccer and then having to go work in, in rugby and then f starting at the bottom again and then in a different sport and trying to figure out how do I, you know, present these things to a different environment. So I think coaches who get the opportunity early on in their career to learn under a number of coaches, good and bad, and understand that it's not just about getting up the ladder as quick as possible. I think I read about uh, Jose Mourinho, who's probably the most successful soccer coach ever, about how, you know, he, two things, he learned, he, he worked initially actually as a translator under three different legendary coaches. And there were two of them were completely different in style. And then when he got his first coaching opportunity, he, got, he was fired and he had six months off. He had nothing to do. So he used the time and sat down and he wrote out his coaching philosophy based on what he had learned from previous coaches. So any time that you know, I was either between jobs or had just been let go, I, I did what he did. I would sit down and look back over the coaches that I worked for and wrote down the good and bad things. And I realized that the breadth of experience early on is incredibly invaluable. So um, I think coaches who can learn outside of the industry, I think they should, you know, you learn a lot from that. And I think the breadth of experience and just one example from learning outside of sport at um, even at the 49ers, like I would go away and study and meet people at Stanford who worked in advertisement or in marketing and try and ask them what are the key things that 
key principles behind marketing. And I would, I took those ideas back and used those principles to sell recovery protocols or recovery approaches to the, to the 49ers players. And, you know, Frank Gore, these guys, they'll, they'll still tell you what some of those presentations were like. They were entertaining. They were short. They were snappy. They were colorful. They, they had rhymes. Those were the principles that, you know, Adidas, Nike used to sell or to get, you know, to communicate these things to the players because that was what, um, it, how do you communicate with players in this current environment? So you can learn a lot from outside of football that you can use. That, that's absolutely awesome. I think, you know, being able to, to use some of those, those ideas outside of sport, you know, and, and sometimes you can, you hear coaches saying, well, Hey, I'm not a, I'm not a salesman bull crap. You know, he, I got to sell kids every single day. I got to motivate kids, you know, every single day. And it's, you know, if, if I'm trying to use my, my old school methods of, you know, when my dad was, was my teacher and it was, you know, 35 minutes a lecture and I had to sit there and take notes. Well, those things have probably changed a little bit now, you know, Hey, get a picture up on the board, get a couple words, tell a couple of stories. Kids are going to have, you know, an emotional attachment to it and they're going to learn things more quickly. I think there's so many things that, yes. that you can learn and, and, and apply to your own, if to your own, you know, business or career, if you'll just open up your eyes to it. Yeah. So, um, you know, one I've used with kids and, and, um, uh, I tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you guys this graphic or, um, we can, we can make it available to coaches. But what I did with, um, with one group was when we would go through, uh, errors made in the game, and I wanted the, the players, and I've done this even down to high school level, was to ask them, you know, what, what was going through your mind at the time? And they would say, you know, I would use this kind of graphic like a ladder to say, okay, were you thinking like this, 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 or this? And the, it was a series of images. At the bottom image were uh, Vikings. And I would say, you've all seen Viking movies. Do Vikings, are they organized? No. Were they, or do they think? No. So when you made that error, were you acting like a Viking? Yeah, yeah, I kind of was. Okay, the next level then is Spartans. So they're a little bit more organized, yeah. So you were organized, but you, were, you sacrificed yourself. You know, the, they've all seen 300. So mm-hmm. you, you sacrificed yourself and you took a penalty. So you, you, it was brave, but you maybe weren't thinking enough. Okay, and then the next level is Romans or whatever. So you're really organized. Um, and we were very efficient, but we, we didn't react to what was happening. We were almost too organized and too stifled. And so to take them through this ladder and the top level then was, you know, a, like a special forces guy and a samurai. And the point I was getting them to go through was at the highest level, you can execute extreme violence, you know, when you have to, but then be very, very or, or ninja, sorry, and be very, very calm and cautious and what i was trying to get the guys to understand is that at the highest level you have to be able to switch between both very very calm composed and then you know execute as don brown says solve all your problems with violence but you know yeah but it was and using that visual that graphic to help guys reflect on themselves so i'm not lecturing to them and i'm not chastising them but i'm taking them through these stages 
so that they can, you know, come back in. And then you, you hear guys come in after games, man, you're acting like a Viking out there. You, you know, you need to up your game. And but that's when you know, that is when you know you've communicated, when they start using those languages themselves and talking to themselves. And they can, they can now understand where they are. And you're not, and bear in mind, you know, I've got a PhD in IT and there's nothing, you, you spoke about being humbled. Like there's nothing more humbling than going in trying to throw science at guys and they're just falling asleep or snoring in the room. And then you, <laughs> you, learn, you learn very quickly. I got to figure out a better way of getting these scientific, psychological, you know, complex things. I got to simplify this and get it. And it's not simplifying it, it's getting, getting it in a manner that we can communicate. So coming up with a language that we can communicate between. Was that, was that fun for you to, to try to, to figure that out, a way to, to take all of these? Because it always is, and I don't ever get to that level, but as far as with football, you know, we take some pretty complex ideas, and, and the whole goal, like you said, is to try to uh, get that to where our kids can recognize that and understand that very easily. And it's always, uh, you know, fun almost for me to try to find a way to deconstruct it in a way that, my kids understand it. And then like you said, it's awesome when you finally hear them speaking the way you've been speaking to them, but they're doing it to each other. Was it, was it a fun, was it, was it interesting or a, a fun thing for you to do to go through and try to deconstruct all of that science and all of that jargon and, and try to get it into a manageable and, and um, somewhat exciting form uh, for your athletes? Oh, ab- absolutely. The two things I, two things I love, love the most are helping others you know helping other good people do great things that's where i get enjoyment from and solving problems and to me it's just a problem to solve it's not about you know how smart can i pretend to be it's can i get can i get this across can i solve this problem like i used to joke as well with nutritionists you're good when you you can sell broccoli to a professional athlete like i mean how do you do that like i mean come up with a way to sell broccoli and if you can do it and you can get buy-in and that's that's solving a problem it's not you know um, Jack Harbour used to say to me, you know, he used to hate it when coaches would say to him afterwards, well, I told him what to do. I told him three times, you know, <laughs> I, who, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. You, didn't, you know, you know, you, you just didn't get the job done. And so I, I, I don't care how smart you are. I don't, you know, can, can you solve the problem? And again, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's the great thing. Going back to him again as Belichick, just get the job done in whatever way you got to get it done. You talked about, um, you know, going and, and getting some time with the military as far as learning from them. Uh, I've always kind of been curious because it's always been a, a cool thing for me, and I've always tried to steal things from military books and different things for my guys. Uh, but, but then I always – that's obviously the consequences there are, are so much different than the consequences of losing a football game. Uh, how much crossover is there between uh, some of those military units that you – went and researched and, and learned about uh, compared to some of the athletes that you've worked with? Well, um, I wrote, wrote about a, I wrote a story. I'll tell you a story I mentioned it in 59 Lessons. I'm with a commander, and they, we were just sharing, you know, sharing lessons that, that were transferable. And I said, look, almost word for word what you said, look, look, you know, what we do and what you do is completely different. And, you know, you, you know, we, if we make a mistake, we get Sunday or we get Monday, we can, you know, we get a second chance to perfect it. You don't. And, you know, the other thing is we know in our games are you don't, and I'm not comparing what you do. And he, 
and he said, Fergus, there's a third, there's a third difference. I said, what's that? We only play away games. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so you, you got to keep it in, 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 uh, in perspective. I think there are many things that, that you can learn and that they can learn from you. But again, as I said at the outset, the smartest coaches know what the limitations are. And, the, you know, you see sometimes teams bring the wrong lessons back particularly when it comes to physical training, shouting, roaring and stuff like that. And that's, you know, you know, I've, I've worked with some of these guys and, and they, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, they, they cringe when they see some of the stuff that, that is perhaps taken back and misrepresented. You know, there's, there, there's a time to push guys, but there, it's always done in a smart, healthy, safe context. And it's only done for certain moments. Uh, the decision-making aspect is definitely transferable. I think, um, and learning from, you know, many of the mistakes in terms of um, decentralizing decision-making mm -hmm. so that, you know, you want to empower and to ultimately um, have the decision-making as much as possible, you know, on the field or close to the field. I think leadership um, lessons, cultural lessons, I think are very transferable. But I think some of the, the physical stuff, I think, you know, there are just sadly too many cases where those lessons have been transferred to football and, you know, done a lot of harm. Hmm. I like listening to them talk about, you know, their, their communication piece on the, on the battlefield, how, you know, calm, cool, collected it is. And, and they almost, we'd had another guy on who was in military and he'd almost kind of chastise coaches for, you know, the, the way some of you guys talk on the head headphones or the headsets to each other. If, if you did that, you know, in the situations we're in, which quite honestly are way more stressful, he's like, you wouldn't last on the radio very long. I always, I always thought that was amazing. It's made me kind of reconsider. It's like, wow. Oh, you know, <laughs> super, I, super important. Abs absolutely. And that's the, that's where you, you know, people talk about the zone and, and whatever. That's, you know, that's why the, the coaches on the sideline who are calmest are doing two things. They're allowing, that opportunity and that vehicle for information to come into them if somebody wants to do it. But they're also transmitting that air of, I got this. You know what I mean? It's, it's like playing with Michael Jordan. You look over and Jordan's calm. Well, okay, he's got this. It's calm. I don't need to panic. Now, if Michael's panicking, then we all got to panic. We're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. But like, you mean, if, so, okay, you mean, there's, it's the last play of the game. And, you know, we got to make this. You look over at the head coach. If he's panicking, shouting, running up and down, yeah, I should be worried. It's like that sign on the, uh, you know, on the, on, on the t-shirt on the back of someone's t-shirt. Uh, you know, I'm bomb disposal. If you see me running, catch up. Um, you know, if if the coaches are panicking, well, then we need to be. But if they're calm, then I don't need to panic. I just need to do my job. And um, you know, that's that. Yeah, that's something that that is very very transferable as well. Okay, so my, my kind of my last question for you is, is like you said, you started with soccer and then uh, were, you were let go from that job and then you had to jump all the way to a new sport, which uh, I think you were saying that it was a sport with rugby that you mm -hmm. hadn't, I mean, it was a sport you didn't know anything about. Was that how, how uh, now I'm sure you jump between different sports. It's not as big of a deal. You've done it a bunch and you see some of those commonalities, but the first time you ever did it was, was that a, a, obviously a pretty nerve-wracking 
decision or time in your life where you're like, this is a sport I, I don't even know anything about. I don't, I would assume there's commonalities, but maybe I don't even know that because I've been with soccer this entire time. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, at the start when it happened, even in, even in, you know, working in soccer and working in these sports, when you, when you're sitting around coaches who are, know the game so well, you realize you don't know a lot about it. And all of a sudden you're out of your, your comfort zone. You've got to learn very, very quick. You have to learn a new culture in terms of the sport. You, mm-hmm. So many things are different, but that keeps you humble very, very quickly. And I think, you know, maybe if I use the word too often, that's where it's coming from. You learn humility darn quick when you're in a different sport, but you also learn an appreciation for the, the artistry of the coach and you learn also that you know coming from a scientific background or whatever you learn the limitations of analytics and science and you know you you learn that there is it's like a it's it's like a cake you know you've got that foundation but then there's that icing on the top which is the art and the experience that the coach has the wisdom and I, I used to say at the gym in San Francisco all the time, you know, my job is to get things, you know, together and to give you the information and give you my perspective. But at the end of the day, your experience and you're going to be the one to make the decision based on your experience. It can never supersede that. So I think coaches, you know, should never discount their experience, their, you know, all of the, that emotional stuff that they've learned. But yes, and, and that's why... Um, I encourage young coaches, you know, coaches get to a, a team or they work under a coach and, and they get comfortable and they don't want to leave and they see a lot of potential. I, I encourage young coaches move as often as you, not as often as you can, but move early on in your career, learn from as many people as possible, because once you get good, it's going to be harder for you to move then. And people are going to be less likely to share with you because now you're becoming a threat to them. So early on, if you have the opportunity to learn, you know, learn, move. And one thing that I, I did early on was I, I wrote down the list of the best, you know, sports science, nutrition, strength. And I tried, I tried to learn from them early on and I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I was fascinated by this. I wanted to be the best in the world I want to be the best of what I could do and I want to learn from the best and if you're a young coach starting out learn go learn from the best you know and um don't be afraid you know to go and that's one other thing is don't be afraid to go and learn from somebody who has a completely different attitude or style because you learn you know the good things and you'll be able to now form your own philosophy over time so you know just learn and and just keep keep learning how did you sell those guys on teaching you? Was it just a, a thing that came from passion? I mean, you just showed them that you had a passion for learning and, and they were, uh, you know, they were passionate enough about it that they were okay with teaching you those things. Yeah, I think, yeah. Like, I mean, everybody recognizes, you know, I, I'll get, I'll get emails from people and, and I'll reply, you know, if people are genuinely keen to learn and, and they want to learn, you know, you, I think it's in our nature to help people. So, so you want to do that. I think um, they recognize that you're in it for the right reasons. Like you care about the kids, you care about the players. It's not just me, me, me. It's, you know, I, I want to do this the right way. 
I think. But then what happens as well is that, you know, very shortly afterwards, when you approach someone and, you know, you want to learn from them and you say, listen, you know, you explain to them or they pick up very quickly whether you're genuine. Then they find out who else you've been with and they go, okay, well, you've got some value that you can add to me. So yeah, come and watch and look, maybe in the evening you can tell me a little bit about what did you learn from that psychologist you were with, you know, six months ago, or, you know, you were with a speed coach. I haven't, you know, I can't leave, you know, to go learn from him. Would you share what you learned with him? And, you know, absolutely. And, you know, you end up then, you know, sticking hard drives into each other's computers and sharing information and presentations and it becomes a two way street and, you know, um, Steve and Belichick still do it. You know, lots of coaches do it. You know, you, you just, you develop a respect and, and when you've got that authenticity, what happens as well is you go, you know, I was, I learned from, I learned this, but it's actually not really that good. So I wouldn't spend a lot of time. So you, you end up, <laughs> save, you end up saving people time by being, you know, authentic and sharing with sharing people saying, listen, I think this is good, but it's not going to be good for five years down the line or, you know, for, you know, might be something, I, I don't know, it could be something like virtual reality or something like that. Listen, I think it's really good, but I don't think it's going to have an application for another two years. So um, that's what I learned based on this. And you take it or leave it, that kind of thing. So I think be genuine, be humble, and then share with, with, uh, with the coaches, you know. Coach, I love it, man. I think that that message gets missed so many times, and you've said it a, a few times. You know, keep learning, and it, it really doesn't matter what what area it is. I've I've learned so many great things from people who honestly, you know, couldn't couldn't tell the difference between a left tackle and a, and a center. But they, you know, they've they've had the ability to to you know maybe bring that outside perspective, and and all of a sudden it it really transforms a, a lot of the things that that I've been able to do in my practice. So I think that's great advice. Absolutely. You can, I, somebody told me a long time ago, or I picked it up somewhere where they said, um, you know, a, a fool might not learn from a wise man, but a, a wise man will learn from a fool. And, you know, I remember leaving the conversation with the guy and I was thinking, was I the fool or was I the wise man? And, 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 and what, it taught, what, it, what, it, what it taught me was every conversation, no matter who it is, I'm going to learn something here. Right? You know what I mean? If I don't, if I'm disrespectful, perhaps, um, I'm not going to learn you know, from them. And quick story, I was, um, when I was at university years ago, there was a guy who, it was during the summer, there was the apartment block I was staying in. You know, I was on my own. There was a few rooms and somebody was visiting the university to learn. And so, you know, I'm into sport or whatever. And I meet him and he said, he, this guy, he says his name was Gianfranco. He was just staying for a week and he, he would be around a little bit and see you around. And he said he was at the university to teach dance. And, you know, I just go, whatever. Like, I mean, I just, just <laughs> you know. it, it, okay. So. Anyway, you know, I see him. I can't, I'll be honest. I avoided him for the next few days. I just, I didn't. Really, he was, I didn't want to get in a conversation. But three days later, I'm sitting in. I'm sitting in the in the communal area. I'm watching TV. He comes in. We end up talking. And it was at eight o'clock. It was eight o'clock that evening. I we left to go to bed at two or three in the morning. He had. He was. Uh, he had been an, an understudy to Rudolf Nureyev, who is, who is the, still is probably the most famous, most successful ballet, Russian ballet dancer. But his, his journey um, in arts and in ballet and everything, and what he taught me 
about um, how they practiced and how they studied. Like I was, I was taking notes that whole night from learning from a completely different area about the focus, how they broke up practice, how they taught, uh, and how they. And the most interesting thing for me from a sporting perspective was is you can't shout at the other dancer to tell them where to go. So how do you develop that uh, telepathy? And he was explaining to me was the only way that how you learn to communicate without communicating is to practice at the greatest intensity and presence. In other words, not practicing when you're completely fatigued so that you start to um, know the other person, what they're going to do. So it it was a lesson for me that I can learn from anybody um, and not to be dismissive of people. So shame on me for, you know, for, for, or being, uh, you know, for thinking and judging somebody too quickly. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.